Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. Eye of newt and the hair of a goat, boiled and drawn, infused with shavings of kitten whiskers. Tom, what are you talking about? This has nothing to do with mysticism. Oh, right. right. Okay, got it. Um, then let's get out our orbs of prophecy that we might connect with those that have passed before us. Let us start with the incantation. Once again, you're referring to a seance, not mysticism. Oh, well... I, I, are we going to be talking about like elvish writings or like the mad ravings of a rabid child in the Amazon jungle? Not even close. Okay, well, good thing we have an entire episode to set me and the listener straight. Welcome to Pine Class Preachers, and today we discuss the topic of mysticism. Cheers. Hey, yo. <laughs> Guys, that was, <laughs> that, was cool. that was like a half-hearted Ayo. Well, I guess my 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 half-heartedness comes. I just felt a little left out. I guess you guys had this cute little skit you did, and I just didn't have a part. I was written out, so I I don't know. I mean, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Listen, hey, we gotta stay focused tonight. So, friends, welcome to Pine Glass Preachers. Uh, man, we want to. Uh, we're we're trying something new. Uh, we're gonna break up our shout-outs throughout the episode. We we think we take too much time on the front end, uh, and and we do. So we're just gonna go quick. So I'm gonna stop talking about it and do it. Leave us a review on iTunes. We would really appreciate it. Uh, we really appreciate it when they're five stars. Uh, four stars are fine, Dudge, but uh, but we really like five. Uh, in fact, our our most recent review uh, came to us uh, from someone named uh, Squirm. Uh, I think I said that right. I uh, but it's Norwegian Squirm. I, but it was so nice, man. And someone even found it a helpful review. Uh, and and uh, this individual stated, these guys do a good job of talking about current issues that deal with faith, Jesus, and just plain silly things. I've listened to every episode, and this is my favorite line, and I may be a bigger fan than Tom's mom. Whoa. Hey, yo. Whoa. Dude. Dude. Whoa. Dude. So, hey, if wow. you want your review read on Pine Glass Preachers, leave us one. We would really appreciate it. And we do thank you for the feedback, uh, both the constructive stuff and uh, and the kind words. It's, it's very encouraging to us. So thanks for I, doing that. Please leave us I a review. I can say a review to be helpful. Who clicked? There's an option to click a review as helpful. Isn't that amazing? I know. I didn't know that. Wow, fantastic. Thank you. Skrrm. I, I, can, I can safely say that just having spent a full weekend with my mom and my dad, there is no one in this world who is as big a fan of me as my mom. So hey, Tom, going, going upstairs from the basement where you live at your mom and dad's house does not count as spending the whole weekend with mom and dad. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh man. And I'm yeah, back. Man. And I'm back. Yes. <laughs> Welcome back, Josh. And I think Gabe, that's why I just wanted to, I wanted to just have Josh in the intro because I think our listeners really missed, you know, having him in our last episode. True that. To that, I heard a lot of best episode ever. You should do more stuff without Josh. <laughs> oh man, let's let's talk about what we're drinking. And I really want to go tonight because uh, what I'm drinking tonight is is pretty pedestrian. It's a it's a bourbon and ginger ale. It's tasty, but more importantly, it's what I'm drinking it in. And I don't know if you can see this, guys. Uh, no one who's listening to this is going to be able to see it. But I got myself some new rocks glasses and. Uh, these rocks glasses are special because they have the uh, the streets of Minneapolis and St. Paul, the map of Minneapolis, St. Paul etched into the glass. And Ooh. my brother got it for me for Christmas, and I'm pretty excited about it. Hey, is there? Thanks, Brian. Do you guys have an open container law in Minneapolis, St. Paul, the Twin Cities? Uh, yeah, I think so. Oh, otherwise I was going to say it, and that's like a perfectly functional rocks glass because it shows you how to get back to wherever you live <laughs> while you're wandering the streets drinking no, a bourbon no, and ginger ale. No, officer. I, uh, like, yes, I'm drinking, but... I got my map. map. This is my I was, map. I was trying to figure out where 394 hooks up with 100. I'm going old school. I'm not even using Google. <laughs> hey, well, uh, for me, I decided to... I decided I'm, I'm trying to turn over a new leaf. Ever since missing the last episode, 
I feel like I need to make a few adjustments in in my participation in the podcast. One of those being um, less showing snobbish. Up. Yeah, well, showing up, one. Yeah. Two, <laughs> uh, not being mean. And three, trying to not be so snobbish about my beers. And so tonight, I'm drinking a fine rosé that I found <laughs> in the aisle of the grocery store. It was pre-chilled. It was pre-chilled. That is class 101. I'm just kidding. I am I, not becoming less snobbish. I have a Wise Acre uh, Brewing Company beer called the Ananda IPA. It's incredibly tasteful and smooth. And it came, well, it's in my glass. That's all I have to say. Just by saying the word rosé makes you just as snobby. I mean, I feel like it elevates, I feel like it elevates us, you know, into a whole new level of class that we didn't have before. Dude, isn't rosé just like a, I don't know, a classier way of saying like a uh, a Zinfandel or something. A white, yeah, white, a white I mean, like, yeah, that's I'm whatever. not I'm not disputing what it is. I'm just the word itself just sounds snobbish. Okay, oh, for sure. For sure. R- real quick before Gabe shares, I have a funny rose story. So uh my, at my small church again, more snobbery. Yes. Well, no, no, this how, is how many of our listeners have a rose story? <laughs> you know, not many, Tom. That's an excellent point. And to all you listeners out there. Please feel free to check out our Facebook page or text us a situation in which you have used the word rosé. Oh, yeah. We get there, and before we listen to what Gabe is drinking. special prize, special prize to whoever sends us the best rosé story. Yes, <laughs> yes. We will, and we will follow through on that special prize. It'll be real. It's going to be real, and it's going to really happen to you. So I don't know if that's terrifying or exciting or somewhere in between. But in any case... At our little small church, I have no like altar guild or anything. So I'm in charge of buying the wine when we run out for uh, our celebration of the Lord's Supper, right? And so I'm at the grocery store and I usually just buy like that big jug and keep it in the fridge. So that way I don't have to buy it every week. And I was like, oh, you know what? The last wine, it was kind of bitter. I feel like I want to get like a sweeter, you know, those like more tasty kind of communion wines. And without even looking at the label or paying attention necessarily, I picked up this thing that said like sweet rosé didn't real but it was like a dark color it wasn't like a white zinfandel color next yeah. thing you know i bust it open the next sunday for communion pour it into our little communion chalice glass and it's like fizzing like it's champagne and i was like what the heck is this and that sunday no joke is people were taking like sips out of the common cup it was as if they were confused shocked like disappointed but also somehow excited by the fact that there was a rosé for communion <laughs> that's, Dude, that's pretty exciting um so i don't have a rosé it's neither called for, sacramental entrepreneurship game sorry, hashtag uh neither neither a rosé for communion nor for this evening uh this evening i have uh i, I don't know if i've drank this out I, I i don't think i have a uh, voodoo ranger uh from Ooh, new wow. belgium those are good yeah, are familiar good. yeah yeah atomic pumpkin uh so it's a pumpkin ale featuring cinnamon and habanero chili peppers for just the right amount of heat. And uh, I have to agree, it is. It's really, it's it's a fun beer. I mean, I, I wouldn't, like, I don't think I drink more than one of these at a time, but it's like a beer that burns you in the back of the throat at the end, which is is a good time. Very nice. Very nice. Well, thank you for sharing that and allowing me to be part of this once again. I mentioned this earlier, but let's do it again. Listen, we have a Facebook page. It's where we post these episodes. Also put polls up, such as, is Gabe a book snob? And there are cute graphics that accompany every post that we have. So check it out. Throw up a comment. Leave a, leave us a message. Or better yet, text us your questions, comments, concerns, your own stories of Rosé. Remember, the <laughs> best one gets a real-life, genuine prize in honor of this, our 42nd episode. So send us that story at 612-208-6258. And as a matter of fact, we have a question from a listener. And that question comes from our friend, Dej. He's also left us an iTunes review. So practice what Dej is currently doing. Not only leaving <laughs> us iTunes reviews, but texting us questions as well. What did he say, Josh? What did Dej say? Pulling it up, buddy. 
this is why I send these questions to Tom once I get him because he's supposed to include them. <laughs> you know? a, this is a professional oh podcast. Oh, yeah. man. Where is the question? Really where is the question from Dej? You, you didn't pull it up? We talked about I don't know where it is. I can't ago, find Josh. it. I don't know where it is. Okay, I'm going to try to find job. it. Did one job. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I don't well, even know. Well, Josh is trying to do his job. Here we go. This is Dej. I have a question. I've noticed that in the uh, U.S., most theological theologically conservative Christians vote for politically conservative candidates. Likewise, theologically liberal Christians often vote liberal in the political square. I'm, I'm sure, sure you have noticed that since you are part of a conservative church in which her members are mostly Republicans. So my question is, what do you think the relationship is between the two? Do Americans okay, put hold their on. political philosophies ahead and find a church that fits their political worldview? Or is it the other way around? Or is there anything inherent that would cause theological liberals to be political liberals and vice versa. All right, listeners, before you uh, get geared up for another political rant, mostly from me, uh, Dej, buddy, uh, episode 36, we addressed pretty much this entire text uh, question from you. Um, we did, we, we talked about uh, different political systems. We talked about why the church typically is skews more conservative, or at least some churches do, and some are more liberal, things like that. I would urge you to go back and listen to that episode. Uh, but basically, uh, yeah, make America great again, buddy. That's what that's it. <laughs> wow. Okay. What a way to end it. Wow. Yep. <laughs> Let me do a short answer on that real quick, though. I Because one of the things, I guess, that I've always sort of I've wrestled with is y- you have – um, in some sense, uh, you know, in, in broad strokes, broad, broad strokes, but conservative church bodies oftentimes end up being merely the chaplains to uh, conservative political agendas. And you have liberal church bodies that oftentimes end up being the chaplains to liberal political agendas. And, and that's really tricky. And I think if you look back in the ancient church, y- you have this like, thing that defies category where they're they're radically for the poor and and for pursuing peace at all costs and and really for the empowerment of women in many ways and they're radically opposed to abortion and and traditional understandings of sexuality and 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 so there's this this mixed bag that just comes Wait, I they're think. opposed to traditional understandings of sexuality did i say opposed i meant yes uh, in favor. Sorry, sorry in favor of traditional understandings of sexuality uh, and so you have this sort of mixed bag that defies our American political categories. And so I think in the modern American political scene, uh, different church bodies have sort of embraced, you know, one aspect or the other. And so real quick, let me just say this to close on this thought. Uh, the way I guess that I've found a way to reconcile this in my own life is is I love uh, what James says, where he says, uh, true religion is this. Uh, that which cares for the widows and orphans and keeps oneself pure from the world. And and so so often we like to say, ah, the church is about caring for widows and orphans, right? So that's more left-leaning politics. Or no, the church is about keeping oneself pure from the world. Oh, that's more right-leaning politics. And James says, no, it's both. It's both. James says we should all move on to communal space, live together, work the land, feed the poor. Yep. He doesn't actually say that. As long as long as you're not feeding the poor with the tithe. Anyway, going on to our break. Wow. We'll be back. Okay. Wow. Geez Louise. Welcome back, guys. We are going to be talking uh, about mysticism here in a minute, but uh, we want to give a quick shout out to the Gospel Economist. Uh, they've been gracious enough to host us uh, and really a great website for for writers and thinkers who are thinking about where they see God in everyday life. I, a little bit of what we're trying to do here uh, when we are in everyday life, when we're in, in, the, in our culture and we see 
situations, we see places where God is making an impact. And so really encourage you to go and check out that website. Uh, they've changed it now. It is thegospeleconomist.com. No hyphens, nothing like that. Just very simple, the thegospeleconomist.com. Uh, check them out. We're going to get into our conversation now about mysticism. And uh, I am mystified about what we are talking about because I know that Gabe and Josh have had some really good conversa conversations about this uh, kind of on their own as they've prepared in in their own uh, in their own ways for for their congregations and things like that. But uh, please, Gabe, Josh, somebody clue us into what we're talking about here. Yeah, that was a fairly mystifying and mysterious introduction, Tom. I know, right? I'm, I'm really trying to, like, hook people, like, what is he talking about? Yeah. Uh, what are we talking about? Well, Josh, I'm just kidding. You, I'm just kidding. I'm just, okay, I'm just kidding. I'm just give kidding. Us an example. Give us an okay, example. Tell listen, us I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, Gabe, I'm sure you've gotten this question before, and Tom, your dad probably, I don't know, maybe people asked you about your dad, but when you're a pastor, a lot of people ask the question, hey, why did you become a pastor? And for me, I always told him I actually never wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to be a short order cook at Denny's, cooking bacon, eggs, and pancakes my entire life. Come on. Until. Yes, Tom? Oh, no. I just, I, it seems like a worthwhile profession. Who doesn't love Denny's? Preach. Exactly. Exactly. Or if you're down here in the South, a wall, potato, potato, tomato, tomato. If you like your hash brown smothered. And smeared with gravy or whatever they call it. Anyway, it's, I wanted I Waffle House. Go on. It is really good. It will kill you. We're getting off um, track. Okay. Sorry. Uh, I wanted to do that until I had a mystical experience one year in Mexico. And I'm not talking about in college, going down to Tijuana, hitting the club, and not knowing where I was for a couple of days. I'm talking about a genuine mystical experience in which – well, well, let me just set the stage, okay? So being in California growing up, the closest thing for mission area activities, mission group activities was Mexico. And so each summer, our church, we'd load up in a 12-passenger van, drive down to work with an organization called YouthWorks. We'd work on an orphanage, build crap, you know, do all of the things that we talked about in our mission um, episode as being terrible and toxic. But this one year, we go down, right, <clears throat> and we have this great experience, and we come back the next year. and each year, part of this mission experience was to attend a local church for service. And it just happened to be that there were a couple of revival preachers, Pentecostal preachers, who were showing up at this church. We didn't know that, but we showed up anyway just to worship with the community. And we're sitting there, and about halfway through the service, they said, hey, would any, you know, we've got these guests from America. Would anyone like to share their testimony from what happened last year? So I was kind of the de facto youth leader at the time. I stood up, I go up and I just say, hey, it was a wonderful experience. Thank you. We learned so much. You people are hospitable and gracious to us. Yada, yada, yada. You know, did what I was supposed to do. Sat back down. Like 15 minutes later, these revival list preachers, they're, they're into the middle of their message. And all of a sudden they say, where is the young man who shared his testimony earlier? So I raise my hand very sheepishly and I walk up to the front. And now I'm, I'm a Lutheran. We do not have mystical experiences. Person. No, no, we don't have revivals. I that might no. be the one and only revival I've ever been to. We and it was don't really have testimonies, but yeah, go on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, exactly. Right? My yeah. testimony was I was baptized as a baby, and that's kind of the end of it, right? Um, right. and so I'm standing up there, and next thing you know, like I don't know what to do. These dudes they're praying over me, and through the translator, I hear things like, and you will heal cancer, and you will like you know, re remove sickness from people and everything. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, God, I'm not really buying into this, but shoot, if I can heal cancer, you know, one day, that'd be tight too. But I'm just going to stand here and do, and you know, I'm, I'm not going to be rude. Next thing you know, I feel a little push on my forehead. I don't know what to do. So I stumble backwards and then I step right back up and they keep pushing on my forehead until finally I'm like, you know, I just need to fall over that. I know that's what is supposed to happen. So I fall on the ground. I'm laying there. Everyone in my youth group is freaked out. Next thing you know, they usher us onto the bus, get us back to the place where we're staying. And needless to say, the entire youth group is freaked out. Our youth leaders are like, what is going on? What just happened? They're thinking that I was demon possessed, that like something evil had happened to me. And that night we're sitting around and Gabe, Tom, I don't know if you've experienced this, maybe our good listeners, 
you've experienced something like this on a mission trip as well, the good old washing of the feet. Oh, so good, man. Right? So it just happened to be that night of the mission trip. Mm -hmm, Candles mm -hmm. are lit. Guitar is playing. We're washing oh. each other's feet, right? Oh, God, so, you are my, my God. God. Yeah. And I can pray you. We're there. So Keep we're going. doing that Keep thing. Going. All right. The scene is set. You have the picture in your mind. I'm walk, you know, getting my feet washed. And then next thing you know, I am caught up in a mystical experience. And the only way I can describe it is I I have never felt the presence of the Holy Spirit in the way that I felt it there. It was like this all-encompassing, enveloping sort of not warmth in a weird kind of nuclear way, but just like a very calming, peaceful thing. I, I didn't hear any voices. I didn't hear any specific calls. It was just in that moment that was different than the normal foot washing stuff, normal than the different candlelight worship kind of stuff, where I was like, holy crap, I really feel like I am being literally surrounded by the the, the very spirit of God, right? Mm -hmm. And I come back to town and I'm telling that, you know, because once again, all the youth people are freaked out. Everyone's thinking that they're like, we got to discern the discern the spirits, like like Peter says, you know, what's going on? And I get back and I remember sharing with my parents, like, hey, something happened, something changed. I had this experience. And it was from that point forward, after talking with the past my pastor at the time, that I was like, okay, I'm gonna get into pastoral ministry or some type of ministry, you know, career. Uh so it was it was definitely an experience where I didn't feel out of body, but I felt like something out of body was happening to me. It was also an experience that changed the trajectory of my life plans uh, and not in a superficial way, but a very deep and meaningful kind of way. And so for me, that was like a mystical experience. And I think in general, that's really what mysticism is or seeks to be within a Christian context. That is to try and ascend to God, to encounter God in these sort of out-of-body ways, uh, ethereal, you know, kind of very cerebral types of experiences. Dude, so let me uh, tap into that and say, okay, so some listeners may be saying, okay, wow, Josh, like that's a crazy story and that's weird. Uh, let me get like- Which it was like, crazy and weird. Right. So let me give like a little bit more of a grounded one that just like happened to me recently that led to kind of us doing this episode is, um, so anyone who knows me, knows that there's there's few things uh in this world uh that that i hate more uh than than sort of um sentimentalism okay like i just i can't stand like platitudes and and simple things like that and and to be quite honest for that reason i don't listen to a lot of like contemporary worship music and i'm not saying all of it's that way but oftentimes it can fall into that category now i have a church that does contemporary worship so don't i'm not against it i just in my everyday life, I don't do it, but uh, I'm driving to church one Sunday and like, I just sort of felt this conviction. Normally I, I drive in silence and I pray, uh, but, but this Sunday I just felt like, man, I just think I want to worship a little bit. And so I'm driving to my car and I put on the old elevation worship, which I mean, quite frankly, as a pastor, that's fairly heterodox. Um, and, and so little bit questionable but they were a good song i think cut you know many listeners may know it. it's called uh, come to the altar and uh and i'm uh i'm jamming out to it in my car and i like i just have this moment where and i go into every sunday like honestly assuming the worst like it's gonna fall apart my sermon's gonna tank no one's gonna show up like and so i pray a lot about that i'm like god you know it's in your hands da, da, da. and so like i'm praying that and i'm praising him and i have this moment where it's like just instant peace just sort of washed over me. And like, it was like, a, it was like, it was almost as if I could hear God being like, dude, everything's going to be okay. And you're my son and I love you and, and I'm with you. And it was like this, like this moment of, of just calm uh, while I'm driving in my car to, to work. And, and so, you know, that's, that's maybe not as like surreal as Josh's, but it was just this like, just this moment. And, and, uh, and so at any rate, that's kind of what sparked this conversation for us. And that kind of falls into this tradition of mysticism, these sort of supernatural ethereal moments that, that, that don't fit into necessarily, um, the, 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 the doc, not the, it fits in the doctrine of Christianity, but, but into like 
you know, we're from a tradition that, that's really high in terms of like, you know, you figure out, you study the Bible and you get your right theology from the Bible and you teach what that says. That's kind of our deal, right? And, and it's a lot more cerebral and this was much more visceral. We, do, we well, don't, we, especially in our, <laughs> in our brand of Christianity, there's not a lot of spirit hands going on. Right. We, you know, we, are, we just hear and listen and, and take in the word of God. We do not feel the word of God. Feeling is anathema right. in our, in our, you know, yeah. well, and okay. And, and we'll get into more about, you know, kind of like examples of, of mysticism in history um, and, and where it sits within Orthodox Christianity. But I have a question for you, Gabe, because I wasn't anticipating you to say this, but since you said it, I, I want to address it and, and kind of talk about it. So you mentioned that driving to church listening to elevation was essentially heterodox no 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 i said the pastor of that church is oh, oh okay okay i'm yeah, sorry yeah. i was like no, no. okay nothing, nothing wrong with driving to church and listening to worship music i encourage yeah. it okay because i was <laughs> like yes i mean yes yes stephen furtick is is heterodox um and a lot of the practices of elevation church and many others like them are something that we wouldn't consider necessarily in in complete fellowship and understanding of, of what we teach and believe but i was sorry it just caught me off guard i was like wait a second crap so and i'm super heterodox you should do that you should do for, that. for the listener heterodox means yeah so orthodox so ortho uh means right dox belief so right belief uh hetero means i guess, I guess wrong or opposite uh right so heterosexual opposite sex so hetero opposite uh belief so it's it's wrong belief so, so there's kind of, so orthodox is right belief, heterodox is wrong belief, and heresy is like not even close. <laughs> it's kind of like, like how I put it. So, well, so and for many, for many church bodies, our own included, we have very strict uh, associate, associative kind of regulations about who we can interact with on levels of worship um, and celebration of sacraments and that and, and preaching and that kind of thing. Uh, and we guard our doctrine very closely for many good reasons, yet at the same time, uh, something like engaging with churches that may not profess or confess the same things that we do can be seen as a as a, an act of heterodoxy. And um, um, well, and, and so, so wait, wait, hold on. So just for clarification of a, a, yeah. as we're getting into this conversation, I you know. I started off this this episode with kind of a crazy little intro, but I think, you know, that's coming from a place of I think when we hear the word mysticism, we do start thinking about really crazy things. It's it's voodoo. It's uh, yeah. it, it it's witches boiling eyes of Newton and, th and things like that. But what you're really talking about is is these these experiences where you feel very close to God yeah. in a very different way than 99.9% of the time. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's and, correct. Put it. That's a good yeah, way to put it. Yeah. That is a great way to put it. And maybe it would be helpful, Gabe, if you're cool with me doing this, giving yeah. almost like a, a brief, very concise history of mysticism over the church's history. Yeah. Do it. Would that be helpful? I, for me, it would. Well, actually, what's your I, definition I, of concise? Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll keep it to like one or two minutes. Okay. All right, so you've got Pentecost, the arrival of God's promised Holy Spirit. When Christ ascended, he said, I will send the helper, the paraclete, to be with you. It will be the very breath of God, right? And at Pentecost, there were tongues of fire. People were speaking in different, excuse me, different languages. And it was a very mystical experience in probably the most sublime way because it was God's Holy Spirit being given to the church, descended upon the church, okay? So from that point, there have always been members of the church that have said, I want to experience the sublimity, the joy, the connectedness of Pentecost. And they have tried to achieve that in numerous ways. Very early on, this meant that the early mystics would actually go out into the desert in solitude. And essentially these desert fathers and desert mothers would isolate themselves to the point where literally the only person that they could interact with was God himself. Uh, and so what they tried to do through fasting, through prayer and through these, these kind of isolationist, um, you know, um, dwellings and that kind of thing was to say, okay, I'm stripping everything away so that I can experience God in, in his raw uh, supernatural form. 
All right. And so then from there, uh, that's where really the, the early forms of monasticism kind of broke off. So then you had these cloisters of people who said, okay, the only way to truly experience these, you know, to, to mystically experience God, to supernaturally experience God on the 0.01% of everyday life, you know, other than the 99.9 is to get together in these communities in which we are communing with one another. We're worshiping with one another. We're, we're living life and, and working alongside one another. Uh, but yet in our solitude, in our rooms and through these kind of contemplative practices, then we're able to achieve the same type of mystical experiences, the ascents to God. Uh, it's, it's a very internal kind of process that they were saying and arguing for by believing that if I can just focus on God to just the the most pure and unadulterated like ways, then I will be able to reach up and be able to grasp him in these kind of supernatural ways, right? And so that's where you had uh, in the monastic movement, you've got, um, oh gosh, you've got John of the Cross, you've got Julian of Norwich, um, you've got Teresa of Avila, and, and many, many others in these cloistered type of environments that we're trying to tap into not just the um not just the the educational aspects of of scripture uh or not just the uh what would we call them i don't want to say doctrinal but not just like the doctrinal characteristics of god but more of these ethereal very um emotional emotionally driven types of things like god's love god's care or god's charity and by focusing on these types of things that they would then say and they did a lot of writing that they were able to connect with god in a very unique and different kind of way yeah. and as we get uh into say the modern era okay we'll skip a, a whole bunch of, of years and that kind of thing but like luther addressed this uh primarily with like um, you've got people like the Anabaptists and, and others who were just trying to seek out mystical experiences um, through extraordinary kind of activities and events. Um, and, and for them, that was the way that they were able to kind of like prove and, and solidify their faith, um, which Luther reacted against. And we'll get into that in just a sec. But when you move into the modern era, then when you get into this like American Christianity, this practice of, of revivals, um, you've got Azusa Street, the Azusa Street Revival, which essentially launched uh, all of our charismatic and, and Pentecostal church bodies, then it became this thing like, how can we incorporate um, not just our worship practices, but music, instrumentation, uh, activities in worship to be able to commune with God's Holy Spirit in the same way that the first believers communed with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And that's played out um, in, in numerous ways, whether it's speaking in tongues or you know trying to catch the fire through contemporary music basically it's working yourself up into an emotive response to the love of god so that you're able to connect them on a deeper way outside yep. of christianity the closest thing we've got to that is like a whirling dervish in islam yep. you know they're they're muslim mystics and by spinning in circles and chanting and listening to you know very rhythmic beats of and patterns they're able to then you know ascend to meet uh, allah and that kind of thing yeah so let me just like give an example, uh, just a, like a short snippet. So, so Josh mentioned uh, Julian of Norwich, and so she's a she's a pretty uh, famous mystic of uh, 14th century, late 14th century, uh, and and so kind of her one of her big stories is that uh, as she was she was actually quite ill and and was about to die and was actually being administered uh, last rites uh, by the Catholic Church, but. Uh, as she was dying, they they held a uh, a crucifix above her, her the foot of her bed, and she's looking at it, and she's losing her sight. She felt physically numb, but as she looks at the crucifix, she sees the figure of Jesus begin to bleed. Uh, and over the next several hours, she had a series of of sixteen visions of Jesus, um, which which ended by the time she recovered from her illness. So she's about to die on her deathbed, sees this figure of Jesus, sees him bleeding, has sixteen visions of Jesus, and she put it down in a book called Revelations of Divine Love. Uh, and so she's kind of a, a well-known mystic and, and really seemed to capture this experience right away. And it's kind of been a, a talking point in Christianity uh, throughout the ages. And so that's just just kind of an example from, from Christian history of, of a pretty extreme moment of, of mystical experience. Yeah. And, and so. ultimately, I think this is where this conversation intersects with 
just us as as Lutheran theologians, um, when we throw out words like orthodox and heterodox and mysticism and all these other kind of examples with Julian of Norwich and, and others, is you've got two very distinct trains of thought within Christianity. And that is you have um, Lutherans, I mean, actually, I couldn't even say Catholics because Roman Catholics are very mystical uh, in their own, you know, doctrine and theology. But like, let's just say just from a Lutheran perspective, okay, we have, we, we, teach and believe that there are very specific ways in which we encounter God and that we are able to connect with God on the most sublime level, right? And then you have church bodies that say, unless you're riding the mountaintop high and you're emotionally kind of experiencing God through worship or, or some other kind of activity, then you're not entirely sure that you're engaged with the Holy Spirit, engaged with the Father and Son, etc. That's really where these, this road diverges um, into uh, contemporary Christianity and really the American landscape. You know what I mean? So my my question is just, again, coming, you know, for, for the listener, the three of us all come from a very conservative Christian background and one that I would probably say, you know, poo-poo is this idea of of this mysticism, this this greater yeah. connection with God. Not if you're um, Josh Woodrow. Well, right. not but, if you're but, gen- but generally speaking, yes, Tom. Okay, but fine. Generally fine. Speaking, yes. But at the same time, we we sit and revere the stories of Moses going up on the mountaintop and and coming back with with a shining face because he, because he encountered God in in in, a, in an amazing way. All these different miracles of of throughout the Old Testament of of God coming in in different ways, and then we and then we come through the New Testament. We have and we have Christ doing amazing things that we didn't expect and every single time he does a miracle and then to Pentecost and other places where the Holy Spirit shows up in ways that we don't expect. And then all of a sudden we just shut it down and say, and now nothing ever can happen again. Angels encounters and Holy Spirit encounters and God encounters. Nope. You can only hear the word of God and no feeling. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's really great point, Tom, because so, so there is a, a stream of theological thought. Uh, they're called cessationists. And, and these are people that would say, hey, in the New Testament and, and in the Bible, God did these amazing, miraculous things. Um, you know, but we don't really see that anymore. And so that's because the spirit was working while the Bible was being written. Like God had to do stuff this way at this time in order for Christianity to get the launch that it did and, and end up capturing the entire world. But now in these modern times, God doesn't work that way. And so we should really just uh, focus on his word and and that which he's revealed to us in in the word. And that's kind of the only way we can encounter God. Now, as far as I understand it, I can be corrected on this. But we even as, you know, conservative Lutherans, Germanic people are not actually cessationists uh, in in word. Uh, Now, indeed, we we kind of are. And so, so what we would say is we'd be like, yeah, could God's spirit do some miraculous things? Could mystical experiences happen to people? Sure, they could. But we're not going to focus on that. We're not going to get too excited about that. We're not going to look for that too much. Uh, it could happen, but it's really not that big a deal. Why, why do we do that? Because literally every turning point of the Christian faith dealt with something like that. And why do why do we steer away from it. Well, I, I guess I would say to, I, I'd correct your statement. And, and, I, and I think Lutherans would correct your statement and say, no, actually not every turning point in Christianity. And I know you didn't say every, but not even nearly every. So for example, I mean, our foundation sits on this, I mean, our foundation is Jesus Christ, but uh, our foundation as, as a Lutheran identity uh, comes from a guy named Martin Luther, who, you know, much of of, of his understanding of church and the gospel was, was much more of a, a rational project. Now, I think Josh would probably correct me. I mean, Luther had some mystical experiences and some mystical ideas. Um, but you know, you look at the reformation is launched because of logical arguments, right? No, Where like, because of theses, the reformation is launched, not because of an experience, right? But, because but, of that was, but that was to argue against against heterodox teachings or what he felt was heterodox teachings from the Catholic church. But when you look at, at the law coming to Moses through a mystical experience, when you look at the Holy spirit appearing for the first time through a mystical experience, 
Like yeah, yeah, but again, dude, that's where like cessationists would be like, dude, that's that's the biblical era. The biblical era was just different. God just doesn't yeah, work that it, way. Yes, yes. Okay. As someone who would consider themselves a cessationist, a, a very conservative cessationist, meaning exactly how Gabe described it. Do I think that the Holy Spirit can work when, where, and how he wants to? Absolutely. I will never deny the power of the Holy Spirit. Do I think that he ceases to reveal himself in those kind of miraculous ways on a regular basis today and in the recent history? Yes, I actually agree. I, that's where I kind of land. But more importantly, I think, Gabe, this is – even though we had a massive disagreement and made a lot of listeners uncomfortable in our Reformation episode, <laughs> I, think, <clears throat> I think this is actually where we – probably find the most common ground when it came to Luther. Luther speaks of some very mystical experiences. Yeah. I mean, his, his, his onfectum, you know, the, yeah. the struggles he had with like the devil himself, like yeah. he is able to describe in very explicit detail. And so Tom, to answer your question, I think Luther is actually the perfect example. So he's having these mystical experiences, but is he resting his theological hat, his faith hat on these mystical experiences or is he resting them on the ways where God through scripture promises to actually show up each and every time without question? And this is really the, the crux, I think, of Luther's theology. Here's someone who is experiencing mysticism, and, and it was unwanted. It's not like he was seeking out mystical experiences. They were just kind of happening to him. He was you know, undergoing these things while trying to make very rational arguments for the faith and the solas against the Catholic Church. And yet at the same time, he's able to not only appropriately balance them, but say, look, if I were to hang my hat, if I were to rely so heavily upon my mystical experiences, I actually would be relying on nothing at all because this is an individual experience that can't subjective. be subjective. It's completely subjective. Instead, let's look to the objectiveness of God, mm -hmm. where he says, I exist, I am present, not just for you, Martin Luther, but for all people, which is why as Lutherans, we are highly sacramental, where we would say that the one or the two guaranteed, or three, sorry, guaranteed sure ways that God is able to meet us physically, presently, emotionally, spiritually, faith-filledly is at baptism, through the Lord's Supper, and by His Word. Yeah, and and I and I agree a hundred percent with that. It's just odd that we throw that we throw mysticism out the door. Not that we're hanging our theological hat on it, but we throw it out the door when I'm not sure you can point in scriptures to a place where God slams the door shut on mystical experiences. Because you, you can say, yeah, that was part of the biblical era, but you you point to, point to me in the Bible where it's like, yeah, well, now we're going to stop this. Well, but okay, Tom, let me, let me throw this at you then. If we define a mystical experience as a supernatural experience, right, that exists because you're communing with the divine in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then shortly after Pentecost, you run into Simon the Magician, who says, hey, I'm trying to do all these same tricks in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit that arrived, and it's not working. So if we were to take that as a case as a case study, then we would say that Simon would then have no reason to believe where the early apostles would say, oh, but we experienced the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we commune with the divine. So yeah, we're going to hang our hat on that, on, on that experience alone. So, in fact, so yeah, this yeah, kind of, I'm, I'm not arguing that we hang our hat on on a mystical experience. I'm just saying it, it's just odd to me that we don't acknowledge it and, and even go so far as to say they don't exist. No, but I don't think that's what Gabe and I are saying. We're not saying they don't exist. We're no, saying, I'm saying, I'm saying we're, it's what, I would say it's the it's the feeling I get from our church body. Yeah, it's it's a mood. It's a mood. I, yeah. And, and, yeah. and I, didn't didn't you just have a kid or a student or didn't someone just ask you a question about that game? Or, yeah. or like, so I was going to talk about that. Yeah, I was just about to bring this up. So Tom, I, I think you're right. I I think that is a mood, and there are those. And so, and I would say, at least speaking for myself, I definitely don't sit in this camp. I, I do think mystical experiences can happen and do happen. I mean, I told you a story where I think it was. It was pretty supernatural. I mean, I guess someone could contribute it to like, well, it's just a weird emotional moment. And you attributed it to the divine. Okay, fine. But I, I, I don't know. It seemed pretty surreal to me. And so, so at any rate, um, so I, I, I recently talked with someone who like, 
he kind of called this out and and in particular he did it in a way in which he said like this was why he's against quote unquote contemporary worship in in the modern church in in, in america here is he says because modern worship is is aiming us towards having a mystical experience and he said we shouldn't be aimed towards having a mystical experience we should only be aimed towards that which got those places where god promises to show up in the word and in the sacrament and and so he said so anything that's trying to aim us towards having a mystical experience with god you know is distracting from those places where he's promised to show up and so so tom you're not wrong in that there's a mood in at least our church body that says hey those experiences don't even pursue them, you know, don't, don't even go after them. And, and so I guess my question to you guys would be is like, is, is this guy that brought this up to me? Is he right? Like, should we not pursue mystical experiences? I've been thinking about this a lot lately because oh, I, for one, really love reading the mystics. I really do from not just Julian of Norwich or Teresa Mavila, but the early Celtic mystics, the desert fathers, I mean, I, I enjoy mysticism in general. And originally, Gabe, when you and I were kind of talking about this, when when this dude threw this question at you or kind of this challenge to you, we were talking about how as at least as Orthodox Lutheran theologians, yeah, really the only places that God promises to exist where we can commune with the divine is at baptism in the Lord's Supper and, you know, where he meets us in his word. But as I've been thinking more about it, what then do we do with the with the passage in scripture where he where Jesus says, where two or more are gathered, there I am also? Because, like, for example, when you're driving in the car listening to elevation worship, yes, you're not physically present with someone else, but you are present with a a if it's a live album, a gathering of believers worshiping God in spirit and in truth, supposedly. Okay. Um, yeah. if we on this podcast, we are all Christians. And if we said, hey, let's pray before we begin this podcast, maybe we should start doing that. Which we do every time. Every, every time. time. Every time. Every time. Yep. Um, you know, if there were to be a mystical experience as a result uh, while podcasting, then like, I think we'd have to attribute that. To, and so I, I don't know, my question that, like, that I would throw back to you then is when he brings that up, what then do we do with these situations that defies the the argument between contemporary and, and traditionalist when it comes to, to worship styles that defies cessationism versus you know cares charisms um and and what happens when we take jesus at his word where two or three are gathered he is there and where he, and where christ is miracles happen crazy extraordinary supernatural things happen this is this is so crazy to me that you know, on what your friend says here, Gabe, is don't pursue God at all. You know, heaven forbid you go and and try to pursue God. I mean, we're told to pursue God in everything. Pray to yeah. Him in every pray, praise, and give thanks. You know, yeah. but don't do it in a way that you would that, that, that you, you might actually you know. experience Him. Yeah, no, right. but at the like, same time, but Tom, but Tom, and at the same time, Paul says. Who can, or David says, who can ascend to the heights? You know, David and, and scripture talks a lot about, we literally can't do those things. That no, God I, must I, send to us to experience. But Moses, but Moses is a great example of that. That Moses didn't ascend to heaven. He didn't become God-like, but he got to see God through the burning bush. He got to yeah, see God in the How did he do that? Did he, he just wander up? But he didn't just wander at Mount Sinai being like, oh man, I hope God's up here. That dude who called no, me out of the desert. We, he, God said, but why should we pursue that? I'm not saying we shouldn't. I I'm know, just but, saying that that's that that's such a, a a sticky sticky situation. Because then, if I were to say this, okay, Tom, you, no matter what you do, you pursue a mystical experience with God. What happens if you never have one? What are you left with? Right. No, no, no. And, and again, the, I, like the point is taken that we cannot hang our entire faith on a mystical experience that if we don't have one, that we are somehow not a good Christian. No, I'm not talking enough. I'm that, not talking our entire faith, just regular faith experiences. So if 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 you are taught that each week when you attend worship, wherever that is, yep, that you are instructed to pursue a mystical encounter with god mm -hmm. 
let's just say on a good month that happens one time. Yeah. So then the other three weeks when you leave worship, are you leaving with a feeling of I have received God's grace and his gifts or shoot? How did I miss the boat on this one? What did I do wrong? And then it becomes incredibly self-centered and right. anthropocentric. Right. And and so I, I agree that if you're going into worship and 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 the worship is structured around trying to feel God, that, that that's not the right way, because I absolutely agree that we we come to him, or that he comes to us and we come to him in in those in those three ways, baptism, uh, sacrament of the altar and and the word of God. But along the way, if it happens if you're driving in the car, if you're on a mission trip, if you're shopping in Target and you have a godlike moment, that that shouldn't be shouldn't that should not that be celebrated? I I mean, Gabe celebrated it. I celebrated mine on this episode. Well, so, but but I it think, just seems. It, I, I'm just trying to think of this in in other terms. Like I'm thinking like. Gosh, I play basketball, and really the only way I can experience professional basketball is to watch it on TV. That's the only way. So I shouldn't try to play basketball and try to have a good game. Right. I shouldn't do that because I don't – I'm not going to play really well yeah. every single game. Yeah, dude. I, I agree with Tom. I agree with Tom. I, I think – and Josh, I'm actually really surprised at your angle right now because um, I think <laughs> – I, I am, dude. I did not expect you to play this card. Uh, like, dude – Tom's right. You know, like to to say, um, yeah. If we hang our entire theological hats on some sort of subjective experience I had, that's nonsense, right? Because then we're not any different than freaking Joseph Smith or Muhammad, right? Well, I was in the woods and I saw an angel, right? I mean, Saint Paul talks directly against this. Okay, so we can't hang our entire theological hats on one subjective experience. No way. But, or excuse me, and. We should look to encounter God with all of who we are. We should look to encounter God with our emotions and 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 with our bodies and and with our minds and with our wills and with our desires. And so, I'm, so not, I, I'm not I'm not disagreeing with that though. Well, then, then what's your then what's your beef? Like, I, I mean, I get your point saying like if 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 I'm pastor of a church and you show up and I say, hey, worship is about you experiencing God in this mystical way every single time then you're right then that ends up being condemning because then it ends up being like well what if i didn't does that mean he didn't show up no of course not he shows up in his word he shows up in the sacrament and he shows up in the fellowship of the saints and that by the way just because jesus promises to show up doesn't mean he shows up mystically it just means no, i'm not there. saying i'm not saying every time that is but i'm just saying that's one of the things we typically leave out in the conversation of mysticism you're right you're right so but that's fine so he promises to show up in the fellowship of the saints too so good um so I, I guess my point would be like, but man, if you, if you do have an awesome experience, what it's, it's either, you know, like I can't deny the experience I had in my car, right? Like it happened. I'm not going to deny it. It did happen. So either that experience is of God or it's of the devil. I mean, we believe in a supernatural realm. So, so either that was a gift of God or it was straight from the bowels of hell and I should just completely yeah. toss it out. Okay, yes. What so I didn't make this clear. The the distinction I'm making is the intention to create said supernatural experience versus the acceptance of a supernatural and mystical experience that that happens to happen. Okay, you're not going to because of what you just said, Gabe. Yeah. You're not going to stand up on Sunday morning and encourage your congregation every Sunday to seek out in whatever means possible a mystical experience with God that day. No. And I didn't for right? the record. Yeah, no, you didn't. Okay. You can listen to my sermon. Yeah. <laughs> University of Lutheran Chapel, Ann Arbor. Shameless plug. Here.com. We had Second Harvest last week, ULC this week. What's next? Bridge City. BridgeCityCommunity.com. I hear uh, their pastor doesn't even have a Twitter account. Oh, geez. <laughs> so archaic. Yeah. It's anyway. like someone told him he can't have it and oh, denying the First Amendment rights. Shocking. <laughs> uh, anyway, what I was saying is, so you're not going to, because like, and, and this is where we, we may be kind of just talking past each other. I think but not so. Not actually disagreeing because like 
based on what you just said, I would actually say, okay, Gabe, then you should every single Sunday say, hey, congregation, God's people, you should seek to encounter God right now, today, with every available emotion, thought, word, and deed possible. But you're not going to do that because then what you're doing is you're fostering like those crazy videos we see on YouTube where everyone in the congregation starts giggling or laughing or speaking in tongues. Which, oh, the holy laughs. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, laughter, man. Because, because then you're saying this is what you should be doing. You should yeah. seek these types yeah. of behaviors. But that's not what you're saying. No. Well, at least I don't think we're saying. And that's, But I'm also not saying that we shouldn't encourage God's people to seek to be with – like. To, to seek to encounter him on those levels either. You know what I mean? Right. To say that, that yeah, yeah. So let me let me say this then though. So how, how do I answer my friend? Because the reality is, Josh, you lead a church that has quote unquote contemporary worship. I lead a church that has quote unquote contemporary worship. I assume Tom attends a church that has quote unquote contemporary worship. It... it <laughs> what? This, this is my... <laughs> it's absolutely, it's absolutely no. asinine to me that we're having this discussion about like, what do we say about like, should we have contemporary worship? No, 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 no. Actually, actually, let me reference a fellow seminary uh, um, classmate of ours, Gabe, um, okay. one Nate Wollenberg. I remember this. This It's one of those memories from the trauma of seminary that actually st has stuck with me. And we were having a conversation about contemporary versus traditional worship styles. And Nate said, a guitar does nothing for me. A piano does nothing for me. But when I hear those organ pipes blowing, it just gets me going. Okay. So what I would say to your friend is, so then are you going to say that Nate Wollenberg, peer, classmate, friend, and now pastor, Love is her. pursuing a mystical experience through the organ? And if he is, then he shouldn't have an organ in his church. So this dude would say, he might say yes. I mean, that's preposterous because that is so like unhist well, that is so ah historical and well, ah biblical. Well, and he would say, but what he would say is this: is he'd say, let's say, <laughs> oh, he is sorry, oh, sorry, listeners. Tom texted something really funny, but I can't say it. Uh, at any rate, um, but what what uh, my friend would say is he'd say like that's maybe all well and good, like you can't help it, people get emotional. Okay, that's fine, but he'd say the 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 end goal, the, the telos of, of contemporary worship is a mystical experience. Therefore, by, by default, contemporary worship is, is anathema because it's aiming people towards mystical worship. So an organ may cause someone to have one, but that's not its end goal. Its end goal I, is to lead a congregation in singing. Then I would tell your friend this. I, I can, with what a 100% guarantee, tell you that the videos that I steal from YouTube and play from my computer on Sunday morning is the worst possible way to engender a mystical experience. Okay. It's, there are no real people. We're watching a lyric video played from a computer through one speaker. Well, on a Frank, but Josh, like that's you. Let me, let me say mine though. No, like, no, okay, wait, but, but like, there's I, no, like I have a good worship leader. Right. And so if he gets up okay. and he says, Hey, we're going to sing Holy Spirit, right? Holy Spirit, you are you welcome are here. Come flood this place and fill the yeah. atmosphere. I love that song. It's a great, great song. Okay. My friend, homie here is going to say, oh, see, hear that? Like, you're, you're trying to demand a mystical experience. You're trying to demand a mystical experience. You can't do that. Okay. So then when I sing, like I played in, in chapel at my child's school today, Savior of the Nations, come, and I'm demanding that the Savior of the Nations return. Am I not desiring, pursuing, and, and, and inviting a mystical experience? No, you're, no, you're asking for Maranatha. Come Lord Jesus. You're actually asking him to come back. Which would actually be a mystical experience. Well, no, it wouldn't. That would be a, a, a kind I mean, of experience. Be ultimate mystical, be a, it would be the ultimate mystical experience. No, that would experience. be a material experience, you know, Josh. Well, from, from no, because it, it would be both. From the outsider experience of not being a pastor, arguing about whether contemporary worship gets your hips moving or not, you know, like... <laughs> Tom, like, that just put a really terrible image in my head of you. No, like, this, is exactly this, this is exactly what Tom's this is. doing, like the Macarena in the fourth pew from the back. <laughs> this is a church responding to Elvis 50 years too late. Like, heaven forbid that rock music should make you move, that makes you want to dance. Like, heaven forbid that contemporary music makes you excited about worshiping God. And all I can come back to, and 
I don't know if this is going to be a good ending or not to this to this session, but I think about Psalm 150 that says, Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in the mighty heavens, praise him for his acts of power, praise him for his suppressing greatness, praise him with the sounding of the trumpet, praise him with the harp and lyre, praise him with the timbrel and dancing, praise him with the strings and pipe, praise him with the clash of cymbals, praise him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Lord. And it doesn't say, but do it super quietly with zero emotion and make sure nobody sees you moving or dancing or anything like that. It's good time. He wants us to have an experience worshiping him, coming to him. And if we, if we have a mystical experience or not, is irrelevant because he does come to us through, through the word, through the sacraments, but it's okay if you do. Yeah. Which, which is why I think that ultimately the answer to to this person's challenge would be then it's so reductionist that literally the only thing that can be in worship then would be confession absolution and either a baptism or celebration of the lord's supper right yep. everything else is aimed at creating some type of experience yep which sounds super boring tom, and not biblical frankly right tom i you know we use mics that sit on stands but i think after your rant you should have dropped the mic. You should have. Knock it over, Tom. Knock you, that thing over. Push that mic it's over. It's a $200 mic. Knock it over. <laughs> yeah. I'm not buying you another one. No. I don't want to do that. Yeah, don't do it. Hey, I didn't we are going to come back. We're going to go to break. Uh, that was our conversation on mysticism, but uh, we are going to come back. And, and when we do, uh, we're going to wrap this up in a way that you maybe didn't see coming. Uh, we are actually going to supply you with a mystical experience. So enjoy the break and uh, get ready to be mystified on the other side. Come to the altar. Welcome back. I hope you were able to take a moment to breathe, perhaps uh, hit the space bar and search dictionary in your spotlight toolbar if you're using a Mac, or if you're using a PC, find your way to some internet browser, look up a dictionary, and Google a bunch of words like orthodox, heterodox, mystical experience, maybe even Julian of Norwich, because if you did, then you're like me and reading a bunch of mystics. But for now, uh, we want to give a shout out to the Beggar's Blog. As a matter of fact, I recently published a book review of Thomas Oden's book, How African Christianity Shaped the West. And this in and of itself is a mystical experience, in my opinion, because the whole book talks about how we have uh, really taken a predominantly Afrocentric view of what would historically be where our, uh, our roots come from, from Orthodox Christendom, and appropriate it to a Eurocentric perspective. It's a really great book, especially if you're a theologian. You should read that. And in essence, I have found my mystical roots with the Desert Fathers, Anthony being one of them, and the Nile River Delta, and all the other great things that happened on the African continent. As a matter of fact, I'm experiencing the Holy Spirit right now, just connecting with my brothers and sisters of the past, rediscovering my Orthodox faith. You know, Tom, or Tom, Josh, I will say I, I love that you reviewed that book and that whole notion one of the things that frustrates me, and we don't have time to go into this, maybe this is a whole nother episode, but is this notion where people are like, ah, Christianity, of course, a Western religion. It's a Western religion for white people. And it's like, do I realize like what a racist thing that is to say? Like, like, do you know where it started? And do you know what its origins are? Like, like it is a global religion. It's a global phenomenon. And I think uh, Odin's book really speaks to that uh, in particular uh, to the experience of Christianity in the African continent. So that's uh, super helpful. And I will be picking it up, Josh. Thanks Thank for the you. recommendation. You know what? Fantastic. Look at that. Yeah. yeah. Two yeah. or more. Yeah. I love how it's written by someone named Odin. That is pretty dope. Yeah. Well, I mean, why yeah. do you think I bought it in the first place, Tom? Right. <laughs> you were looking up Norse mythology. I was and... like, wait a second. African Christianity? <laughs> I thought I was reading about Norwegian Vikings. Speaking of that, we need to get done with this episode so I can go watch the season premiere of Vikings. Holler. All right. Okay. Last call. A few shout outs. First of all, as always, 
to our good friend, the greatest fan of this podcast. Squirm him. No, no, it's squirm. <laughs> Not Janet. Janet, you've been replaced. We know you've fallen behind in listening to episodes. You've told us. So squirm, you're our number one. Listen, Squirrel, please text us your name or at least some type of alias that we can reference you as as we continue this debate between who's a greater fan of Pine Glass Preachers, Tom's mom, Janet O'Neill, or you. <laughs> Janet, my vote's in your corner, but please don't be offended by the fact that I invited Squirrel to text us his name. Yep. Uh, and you can find us in all the usual places. Instagram, we post once every six months. Twitter, we post every time an episode goes on. And Facebook, we occasionally respond to your messages. We'd love to connect with you. <laughs> but on an occasional basis. Only, we like to keep it casual. We don't want to go too deep. That's right. No pressure deep. here. No pressure from the Pine Club. Would you have a mystical experience with us? Hey, make sure to text us 612-208-6258. That's 612-208-6258. This has been the Pinecrest Preachers. Have a great day, friends. May you encounter the Lord. Listen, do you guys do that 6258 or do you say the individual first? <laughs>